Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Would you turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3? We just came to the last two verses of chapter 2. We're going to bridge into to this morning's study. Now, Paul had, uh, in chapter 2, had said that he went back to Jerusalem. And Paul was recounting his testimony of what the Lord had done in his life. The things that God had worked in him and called him to do. He said that, that he was the apostle called to the Gentiles. And he says that, and while he recognized this, when he went to Jerusalem, he had a discussion with Cephas or Peter about this. And, and he recognized Peter's calling was the apostle to the Jews. And sometimes because of my Catholic upbringing, I was always taught Peter was the first pope in the Catholic Church. And then I kind of got surprised when I found, and they made him a pope after he's already dead, which is really strange. But anyway, for some reason, because being raised Roman, Italian Roman Catholic, I thought Peter for sure was the apostle to, to Rome, to the Italians. He's got to be, right? And then I don't know why. It's just a, a cultural heritage thing. I just thought he was. But I was shocked to find out he wasn't. He was the one who God called to be the pastor there in Jerusalem to the Jewish believers, what we call the completed Jews, the ones who had received Christ as their Messiah and believed in Jesus as the Mashiach, the, the Messianic, the, the Savior, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. And so he was effectually working, Paul says, for the Lord in his calling to be an apostle to the Jews. And Paul says, and I was doing my calling of being the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, was Paul a Jew or a Gentile? He's a Jew. He studied under Gamaliel, one of the chief rabbis. If you got to study under him, he was the top of the top in the Jewish culture at the time, studying the things about the word. Paul actually earned the title Pharisee of Pharisees. This is the top of the of the top class of the Pharisees. When you get this title, Pharisee of Pharisees, you have done a lot of homework. In fact, you've had to write out the entire book of Isaiah. It was a scroll back then. And every jot, every tittle in Hebrew, every that's every vowel, every consonant, every inflection, all handwritten out. You would write your own copy, and you were to memorize it. So talk about having really become acquainted with what we call our Old Testament, he had to write out the law, the Pentateuch, the five books of the first five books of our Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Oh, there's a real easy read. And Numbers and Deuteronomy. And he had to be acquainted. All of those 613 Levitical statutes that break down the Ten Commandments, Paul was a student of the law. Now, we, we saw that Paul said that when he arrived in Jerusalem, he noticed that Peter had withdrawn from eating with the Gentiles. And Paul went and opposed him, he said, to his face. He said, Peter, the Lord showed you that what he calls clean, you do not call unclean. Yet you will not eat with the Gentiles anymore, and that's hypocrisy. Because God has already called salvation not just to the Jew, it was to the Jew first, but then to the Gentile. And so now... Paul arrives and he sees that Peter has been swayed by the, the men that came from James, that they were swayed, and they started to withdraw. 
and only begin to eat with the Jews as according to the, the custom of the Old Testament law. And so Paul told them, he said, this isn't right. You should stop that. And so he did, and he at least reproached him. I don't know whether Peter began to eat with the Jews again or not, but I know that Paul, Paul told him, look, we're Jews by nature. We're not from amongst the ones, the sinners amongst the Gentiles, but we don't even live the law. Why are you trying to put the law on these Gentiles? And so Paul is going to go on to explain the relationship of us as Christians with this Old Testament law. And this is really important. I know that as Christians, you know, you're going to run into certain sects that, especially in the in the United States of America, we have some different groups that that run around and they actually pick and choose parts of the Old Testament covenant. And they weave those parts into their Christianity. And I want to show you something that you ought to know from the scripture to help you maybe be able to process whether the things what they're incorporating are being done in the right spirit. Because sometimes people take the letter of the law of the Old Testament and they try to impose it on the Christian experience today and they wind up falling so short. They wind up messing up and they actually stumble a lot of people with their doctrines. So let me show you something that will help you in processing these things when they, you might run into somebody that says, oh, you're a Christian? Well, do you keep the law? Well, it's okay that you're a Christian, but just like what Paul ran into, they said to the Gentile believers that were coming to the faith, well, that's fine you, that you hold to Jesus and faith in Jesus. That's good. But are you circumcised? Right away, they, they went to the Levitical law and said, you haven't been circumcised. Therefore, you're not really holy to God. So let's pick up there. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. For the life, he says, which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. And I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. You know, if we could be righteous before God by keeping the law, Jesus wouldn't have had to die for us. But can any of us keep the law? What's the, what's the scripture say? If you break the law in just one part, the scripture says you're guilty of the whole thing. So there was only one who kept the entire law. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. And Christ fulfilled the law as only he could because none of us are perfect and could fulfill the law. But he did on our behalf. And therefore, Paul goes on, and this is where chapter 3, verse 1 picks up. It says, you foolish Galatians. He says, who bewitched you? Before whose eyes was Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? He said, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? How had the Galatian church received the Holy Ghost? Did they do works of the law? Did they keep the Ten Commandments? Did they work out through the 613 Levitical statues to get the law, I mean the Spirit of God to come to them? No. They heard the message of Christ crucified for them and died and buried and resurrected. And just the faith to believe what that gift, what God gave, 
when that word came to their ears and they heard it, and it sank into their spirits and they believed it, God imparted to them right then a gift, the gift of his Holy Spirit. He didn't make them keep the law. He didn't make them do anything special. He just saw that they had faith to receive the gift of salvation. And with that gift, God goes, you're going to need some help. Here's my spirit, the helper, the Holy Ghost who comes. And it says the Holy Ghost comes and teaches us and leads us and guides us. He brings to our remembrance all the things, what, what Christ has spoken. That's the Holy Spirit's work in us. It says in another passage, he convicts us concerning sin. You ever felt like no one's around? They don't even know that you're, you, 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 no, no one's watching. And you start to do something and, and this little voice goes, uh-uh, uh-uh. You shouldn't do that. And you're like, nobody's here. What, where did that little voice come from? You, you know it's not you because you want to do it. So you're sure it ain't you saying that. So what is that little voice doing that? That still small voice, what we read about in the Psalms. Whose voice is that? The voice of the Holy Spirit of God given to us to convict us, to keep us from, from stumbling, to, to guard our way. And Paul, he, he recognized that this church had a, well, he called it bewitching. Someone cast a spell on them. He said, who cast a spell on you to make you think that you somehow received the Spirit by works of the law? See, today there's some churches that believe they earn God's favor and his portion of his Spirit by doing certain works. If we go on missions for God, then he's pleased with us and he gives us his spirit. If we go and do certain things for him, we teach Sunday school or, 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 or we give to the church, whatever works that they might come up with, they think somehow some works will get them favor with God. But see, the only thing that really gives us favor, the only work, what we read that Jesus, when Jesus was asked, he was asked in John's gospel, what works must we do to be saved? Do you remember that? In John's gospel, they asked him, what works must we do to be saved? And he said, this is the work you must do. You must believe on him whom God has sent. Um, who was he talking about? Himself. You just got to believe on me. I'm the one God sent. That's all the work required for your salvation. And it's very clear when Paul writes the church at Ephesus, he said it, that we are saved by grace through faith. And he says, not, as, not of works, lest any man should boast. We can't. It's a gift. It's just a gift given to us. And yet there is something within human nature that likes the idea of, you know, maybe I could do something and get earn God's favor. I could somehow getting good with him if I could just do the right the right works to please him well he did all the work for us to save us and we have to be careful it is appealing to our flesh to think that we could somehow supplement God's gracious gift with our effort when the scripture is very clear and the book of Ephesians says that right after it says God saved us just by faith it's his grace, by grace we've been saved, through faith, not, not of works, not a result of works. But 
Interestingly enough, if you read the next verse in Ephesians, this is Ephesians 2, 2, 8, 9, and 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Verse 9 says, not a, not a result of works, lest any man should boast. And verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. Now look at this. We are created in Christ Jesus for a purpose. Anyone notice what the purpose is? Look at Ephesians 2. Just skip a couple pages in your Bible forward. So Ephesians 2.10. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Wait a minute. First he says we're saved by faith. It's a gift. Nobody can earn it. There's no works that can do it. And then he says, and now we are God's special workmanship. That, what's that mean? We're his workmanship. What's he doing? He's working on us, right? And as his work in us is being done, there's a purpose. We were prepared by God to do good works. Do the good works save us? No. Are we to walk in good works as a, as a believer? Yes. But so quickly, people like to subtly twist these things. There, there are some real false preachers out there that will tell you, you must do these good works to be saved. And I've, I've been to one particular church. They taught us you have, to, you have to join their church. You have to be baptized in their church. You must go on missions for their church. You must give money to that church. And then you must give more money. And, and all these things, be married in that church, wear holy underwear, be sealed in their temple. And all of these things were works that they taught were required for your salvation. That's wrong. Now, by the way, this is the church of the Latter-day Saints. Some of you guys have heard of this church, the Mormon church. I was excommunicated from that church. Because I asked, wait a minute, I thought Jesus said the work we do is believe on him to be saved. Is that right? And all I did was read. Now, I made the mistake. I, I was a young, zealous believer, and, and I came to faith and found out that the Mormons were telling me there was the only true church. And so you needed to read the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price and your Bible. Well, that's four different books. and. When I put them all next to each other, the Bible had like the most pages, the Book of Mormon and the DNC, and those ones were short, you know, a couple hundred pages, and the Bible was like a couple thousand. So I thought, I'll memorize the, uh, they wanted you to carry all these books with you to do the missions. And so I thought, there's a lot of books. And I'm a, I had the backpackers mentality, you know, everything you carry in your backpack gets heavier and heavier the farther you walk. So, so I thought, I'll just memorize all those other books first. And then I started to read the Gospel of John. And as I got through the Gospel of John, I didn't even get to the, to the last chapter of the Gospel of John. And all of a sudden, I had all these problems because what Jesus taught in the Gospel of John conflicted with a bunch of the things what I was reading from the bishops and, the, and Joseph Smith's writings in, in the Book of Mormon and in the Doctrine and Covenants of the Mormon Church. And I, So I just asked my Bible study teacher, Excuse me, I got a question. Jesus says you do this to be saved. You just believe on him. And there was that fellow on the cross 
that said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, before he said that, he told the other thief, shut up. Because remember, the other thief was mocking and saying, if you're the Messiah, why don't you get down off of here, save yourself and save us? And that would have been a real quagmire because if Jesus would have saved himself, would he have saved us? No. But the, the other thief said, shut up. We, we deserve what we're getting. We are guilty. This man, he said, has done how much wrong? Nothing. And it's interesting to me how simple salvation is. A recognizing of the thief's sin, he recognized his own sin, and he recognized Christ didn't have sin. And so he turned to him, he said, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, I tell you, this day, you shall be with me in paradise. Now, raise a hand, if you don't mind, who believes that guy went to be in paradise that day? Of course. Did he get sealed in the Mormon church? Did he get baptized? Did he go on Mormon mission? Did he have his attendance stickers? Did he give his 10%? Did he give gifts above the 10%? Did he do all of the... There's 10, by the way, there's 10 different steps that you're taught in the Mormon church that you must do to ensure your salvation. I say, you foolish Galatians, I mean Mormons, who has bewitched you? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? This, by the way, we could just substitute different names of different groups today that have gone on to try to work out works to say we have the Spirit because we do these works when indeed the, the Spirit's only given as a gift. Just comes to you because you have faith in Jesus. Just like Salvation went to that man, that thief, that day. When he recognized, I'm a sinner, Christ, you're sinless. Would you remember me? That's all it took. Jesus said, done. Now, did he get baptized? I know some churches teach, unless you be baptized, you can't be saved. And some teach, specifically, you must be baptized in their particular group. That's a bit exclusive, don't you think? especially some of these groups that have only been around since the 18th century. I feel bad for all the ones, you know, for the 1,700 years prior to that. None of them got saved, I guess, according to their doctrines. They're kind of missing out on the richness of the gospel. That's baloney. It's ironic to me that in the Americas, we have some people that so arrogantly think that they are the special chosen ones. In these days that somehow they have this special dispensation. They have more of God's spirit than those guys even back in the Bible days had. I'm like, how do you get off thinking like that? Where, where are we better than those guys? These guys, well, Paul himself, though he was out persecuting Christians and didn't follow Jesus on this earth, he did have an encounter with Jesus. He actually had a face-to-face with the risen Lord when he was out trying to kill Christians and the Lord gave him a little pack on the head and blinded him for three days and said, you, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then we saw his conversion and Jesus said, no longer Saul, but Paul. No longer handsome, desirable one. We're going to call you little one. Little in Hebrew is Paul. Saul is 
GQ. Now, it, it may be subtle to you. In English, most people don't catch it. But in the Hebrew, it's very powerful. You're too full of yourself. We call you little. We had to take you down a few notches, Paul. And this man, who God would take down a few notches, would certainly come to know. Now, if anyone knew the law, Pharisee of Pharisees, he knew the law, the requirements of the law. But he recognized that there was a deception coming over the Galatian church that they had begun to try to earn God's spirit by works rather than receiving his spirit as a gift. And so he goes on to explain to them, verse 3, he says, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, now you are trying to be perfected by the flesh. Did you suffer so many things in vain? Indeed, it, it, it was in vain. He says, does he then who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, what's the answer to that? Did he do it by hearing, right? They just heard and received by faith, and all of a sudden miracles were happening there in Galatia. Now, even so, Paul writes, Abraham, Abraham, father of the faith. Even Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. We got to just abide in the faith in Christ that the law has been pointing us toward. And don't let anybody bewitch us into thinking we can earn it. We can't. It's a gift. All we do to get a gift is what? When I say, here's a present, you just have to receive it. When Christ comes as the gift of God, for God so loved the world, he, he gave his only begotten son. Jesus has been given as a gift. And all you have to do is receive him. And you get salvation. And when you do, it's not by any works, any things you can boast. It's just a present. Where God says, I want to give you my son. Do you want it? And you know, it's funny because when people, some people really struggle with this. And some of them, this really, I'll tell this message and they'll go, man, I couldn't. I laid on my bed. I was so mad. All I could hear is, Jesus is a present. He's a present and you got to receive. I don't want to receive. And then it just kept rolling through their head. It's, have you ever seen people fight against receiving the best present ever? I have. I've seen people go, I don't want that Christianity is going to change me. I said, I hope so. I mean, some guys really need changing. I was one that needed it. And I don't know why some people think that's such a bad thing. Because without Christ changing us, what trouble we'd be in. So at the Church of Galatia, a spell had been cast on them. But Paul says something that we need to know. It's always the truth that sets us free. Let's go back to the simplicity of the gift that's been offered by God, his son. And let's tell people, the law, yeah, it's good. It, it points us to the one guy who fulfilled the law, Christ. But before the law ever came, the fact that God was pleased with men who believed is already an established covenant. Because Abraham believed 430 years before the law, and he was it was counted to him as righteousness, no law included. 
Now, my question to you is, what if someone never heard the law, but they heard about Jesus? Could they be saved? Yes. And if some group comes along and says, but you have to add the law in. No, there's an original covenant already established. The covenant of Abraham was already made. Abraham believed God. And it was counted to Abraham as righteousness. It counts without the law. The law was added because of transgression. We just need to get it a little grip on why did God put it there? So he can point out the sin. So he can point out the need of a savior. But Abraham believed it before the law even came. And you know, you might have a friend who believes it, never heard of the law. But they hear of Jesus and they believe. And you know what? That counts. Because they're just being grandfathered in by the original covenant that God made. Let's not get, you know, pompous and think we're better because we studied some of the Old Testament rules. And don't make those rules anything about salvation because they're not. They're just things that point out our sin. They're our tutor to lead us to Jesus. Now, if you'd like, you can receive Christ as that gift and you get everlasting life. If you don't know how to do it, just pray with me. It's very simple. All you have to do is go to God and say, God, I'm a sinner. Something like this. Dear Lord, I'm a sinner. I confess my sin to you and I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And I ask you to have Jesus come into my life, come into my heart and dwell with me that I can have your gift of salvation. Grant that to me this day. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m., on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.